0: You guys can hear me, but the Zoom can't, huh? How we doing, Greg? Good? All right. Well, I, I encourage you to uh, invite you to turn your Bibles on your phone or in your lap or wherever they are I, uh, to, the, to the book of, uh, first, Acts. We'll, we'll, we'll stop off in Acts here, but um, yeah, this fall we plan to work through Paul's letter to the church in, in Ephesus. It's about a 12 or 13 week series. Uh, you're going to see some new faces up here and we're just really excited to be able to kick off the fall season with, uh, uh, with the study of God's word. Um, it is relevant, it is special. Um, Ephesians has been, um, uh, it, it, it was a, a, a seaport located in modern day Turkey and it was full of uh, idol worship and moral confusion. And w- Paul stopped off there, and, and uh, so in your Bibles there, if you turn to Acts, we're in Acts 19 and 20, right in there, and pick up here with a few words. Um, this was, was the end of his second missionary journey, and then the beginning of his third is when he was in that, it was in that in Ephesus um, there's Paul admonishes the people to give up their idol worship and they had these little silver idols and these books and they threw them in the fire they said no God wants us to give those up so they did um, so this is in, in Acts 19 and then into Acts 20 um, Acts 20 verse. Uh, he's he verse 28 or so says, "Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock, among the holy spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood." And so his, this is his challenge there to the Ephesian elders, uh, as he is setting his sights towards going to Jerusalem. He uh, he kind of has a idea that God's gonna he's gonna end up in Rome in prison. And uh, so that's, he's he's setting his his sights on that. But the tenderness here is what I'm trying to get to that that Paul has with these Ephesian elders. He says in, in verse 32, he says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And when Paul had finished speaking, verse 36, he knelt down with all of them. This is on the beach there. And they knelt down and prayed. And they all wept and embraced him and kissed him. And they grieved mostly about his statement that he would never see his face again, and they accompany him to the ship. So there's a tenderness here that Paul has with the church of, uh, at Ephesus. Um, yeah, there's some background stuff there. So it's in modern-day Turkey, is is the location, geographic location. i got to move around. I'm dying up here. I can't be chained <laughs> to this microphone. Um, so Ephesus, uh, the Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians. So, so here he is in his Roman jail cell, and he's writing back to the church at Ephesus. That's that's the context to this special group of people, to this special church that he had planted and built and invested his life into. It's around uh, 60 A.D. Uh, it's been described as the symphony of salvation, just a great musical uh, score with lots of, you, you can imagine an orchestra up here, and that's what the book of Ephesians sings for us. It's the essence of our Christian faith distilled down. Uh, it, it's clearly broken up into two parts. You see the wealth of the church in chapters 1 through 3. And this is parts that we, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to grasp sometimes, the why of our Christian faith. Why do we honor marriage? Why do we um, do so many things? Uh, it, it, it's 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 the backstory of the lavish love of God, that God has loved us so much, He's given so much to us, and we're going to see just a glimpse of that this morning, in chapters one through three, and then chapters four through five is the walk and work of the church. It's how we live out our faith uh, in 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 reality, and then chapter six the warfare of the church. So. Paul extols the wonders of God's amazing love and what God has done for us in Christ. I've got a little video clip, I think, that we're going to share. This is the Bible Project. Just one little pre-note before we Paul jump into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. There the you
1: story, go. When how Paul came to the
0: We got it? Um, one little n- f- note here before we start. Um... In, in this uh, narrative here, they use the word humanity, where in the Bible it would use the word body. So just to help you translate what they say here. But it's very good. Go ahead
1: the city of Ephesus. It's really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel. How all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story. Personally, in our neighborhoods and communities and in our families. So let's dive in and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter one opens with a beautiful Jewish style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purposed to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says... That grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says. When we were first made into that family, and here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham But then paul talks about how you and here he means non-jews You all heard about jesus and the salvation through him And you were also brought into this family by the work of the holy spirit And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of acts about how god's spirit brought together jew and non-jew Into one family in jesus. It's just like god promised to abraham long ago Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then here at the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now in chapter 2, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter 1, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly god in his great love and mercy he saved them he forgave all of their sins and he joined their lives to Jesus' resurrection life and he's brought them back to life too and so now having been created as new human beings through jesus they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that god has set before them not only have they been shown god's grace they've also been invited into a new family Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled, and the barrier is removed. The two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new Unified humanity that can live together in peace. So, Paul goes on in chapter 3 to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So, Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time, he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's Spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one, and one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says, unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus' new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people. But they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple, and the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity like a set of old clothes and to put on their new humanity in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing... New humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing. Singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the Spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the Spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice, the wise actions mimic the church which allows jesus to love her and to make her new paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters paul closes out the letter by reminding these christians of the reality of spiritual evil these are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of jesus's people and to compromise their new humanity and so paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus's body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. Got it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they pack so much in it, a little bit. So good. So we'll put that link too in the A so you can go back and look at it time after time. It's helpful. Um, so with that in mind, let's, uh, let's turn to God forward. Let's go to Ephesians 1 and get started. We're just going to hit the high points, really, of that first poem that uh, was described there in the video. Uh, we'll go through verses 1 through 14. And, uh, again, by no means are we going to unpack this whole thing, but just hit the high points here. That, that uh, But first, just reading through in the—I um, went back and changed this to the NIV. So we'll read through here in the NIV together the first 14 verses of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. according to his good pleasure which he purposed in christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under christ in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our trust and hope in christ uh, might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with Him, in Him, with a seal, the Spirit, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Bless God for His word. so much in there just a few things I want to kind of camp on here in the time we have remaining Um, a few phrases and I'm I'm pulling these out of the New American Standard so uh, just there's so much depth there there's so much richness in describing how God has adopted us how, how we are his children how he's provided for us and cares for us Starting out there with grace and peace, the unmerited favor of God, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace isn't cheap, but it's, it's costly. It was bought with a great price, right? You can't buy it. It's given freely by faith. And so that grace of being at peace with God, have you experienced that, saints? Is, is that something that's part of your life? Are you are you enjoying it? Uh, being part of God's family. Grace and peace. So, so when I have that grace with God, when I know that I'm right with him, then it results in a peace that's beyond understanding, right? Philippians 4 says, uh, uh, the peace of God that, that, that passes understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. So that grace and peace, they go together. If you don't have the grace, you won't have the peace, right? But if you do have the grace of God, living in your life and in your mind and heart, you will experience that peace that he gives freely. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's not held anything back from us. He chose us. Uh, you, th- you think of uh, maybe taking your kids to the animal shelter and they, they pick out a puppy or 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 you story of an orphanage where, uh, I'll take that one. I'll take this child. I'll go. I'll make them my own. I'll adopt them. I'll care for them. I'll, I'll take. And God does the same thing with us, right? He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Think of John fifteen sixteen, where where Jesus says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you. In you know, order that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain." Um, so, these wonderful truths here, coming in the first little bit of Ephesians. That we should be holy and blameless before him. You know, when I look in the mirror, do I see myself as holy and blameless? Not often, right? I mean, but that's how God sees us saints. That's how we need to think of ourselves, that, that we have a new status. We have a new standing with God where, where we are, holy and blameless. You know, let that grip our lives. Let that be part of who we are. And he's given us a new status as children. Uh, you think about uh, how we treasure and value and love our children. Uh, I got to spend some time with a daughter yesterday and see the grandkids play baseball. And it's so comforting and reassuring being part of a family, isn't it? Uh, both for the children and for the parents. You think about uh, how God has done this for us. That you know, if I, if I came over to your home, except you, Jojo, I was thinking about you, The first time I came to JoJo's home, I pulled off my shoes and I put my feet on the coffee table. (laughs) Except for your home. I've never done that before. But, um, you know, most of the time when you're an invited guest, you're on your best behavior, right? You don't don't, uh, put your dirty feet on the coffee table. It's because I felt at home there, JoJo. But, uh, you know... but, but see, God does even farther than that. He, he doesn't invite us to be a guest, right? He invites us to be his children. Now, children do all kinds of things, right? Children, when they're teenagers, they, they, they make a sandwich and they leave the mayonnaise out and they make a mess. And, and it's part of being a child. Do you, you see your status, saints? As a child of God, do you understand how, how much God wants your fellowship? He doesn't get upset about the mess. Sure, he wants us to to live lives worthy of him, but he invites us into his care, right? You're lonely, you're depressed, you're tired, you're whatever. He says, hey, come on, pray with me. Come on, spend some time with me. Get in my word, right? I mean, all these things where God invites us into his fellowship. He treats us as a child, where, where, where we enjoy his fellowship. We enjoy his care, his protection. When you adopt a child, first off, the name is changed, right? You give that child a new name. So there's a new identity there, a new purpose in living, a new being part of a new family. All the debts are paid. Any debt that was owed is paid and, and, and crossed out, right? There's care and provision, responsibility that that child belongs under the care of those parents, those new parents. So my challenge to us is that we really think about this. We really live under the care of God. Uh, it says in, uh, we think about John, says uh, you're no longer orphans, but you're children of God. Wonderful truths here in the first bit of Ephesians. Think about um, the kind intention of his will uh, was another phrase that kind of jumped right off the page at me, that, that this is the kindness of God. Extending salvation to his people. Romans 2 4 says, The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Leads us to change, doesn't it? When we recognize how much God has given for us and to us, that it leads us to change our lives.
1: We have redemption through his blood. You think
0: about the Passover lamb, you know, where, where the uh, Hebrews were leaving Egypt and they painted the blood on the door and they were redeemed. They were bought back. They were purchased out of slavery. They were set free. All these things, all these images, and all these uh, things coming here in the book of Ephesians. Um, forgiveness for our trespasses was another one. Now this, this is just in the New American Standard. Uh, uh, NIV says forgiveness for our sins, but trespass, that's where, you know, maybe you're out hiking or hunting or whatever, and you go into somebody else's land, right? You go somewhere you're not supposed to go. Uh, men, we have to watch our eyes, don't we? It's easy to go somewhere... That we shouldn't be going to trespass, to go somewhere that we're, that we're not allowed and shouldn't be right, but, but God forgives that trespass so I ask you what kind of people do you think we should be see this is chapters 4 through 6 right, what kind of people how this is lived out if we allow these truths to really take root into our lives and it changes who we are can we be a people who hold a grudge, for instance? No, not when we have a heavenly Father that forgives us so freely, right It should change our character that 's how this has worked out, and that 's the interplay between chapters one through three and then chapters four through six that it changes our but we don 't want to jump to the behavior you don 't want to jump to hey, do the right thing and stop doing the wrong things. Let these truths kind of sink into your mind and heart this week that 's my challenge to you. According to the riches of his grace, another phrase that kind of jumped off the page at me, uh, which he lavished on us. You know, Christmas will be here in a few months, and we think about giving gifts. And, you know, it's like, well, I went to Walmart, and I got you something. Here it is, you know, cheap thing. No, 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 that's not the image of God. The image of God is that he lavishes on you. He, he, he He just loves on you so good, saints. He lavishes you know many of us think that God, if we came from a background again that 's behavior oriented you, you think that God wants to take from you no, no, God is a generous God, he wants to give to you, saint, he wants to give you a a, a purpose in life, he wants to give you uh, a, a life that 's free of all that garbage, number one, but number two that that he he gives you joy, he gives you peace, he gives you hope, he gives you a future. So many things that God wants to give to us. The riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He's not a stingy God, he's a very generous God. Um, lavish, it's, it's kind of like uh, one, some versions say he showers blessing on us, like, like Thursday's rain. I mean, it's just pouring down, you know, it's just like... like Brand you can't believe, right? That's why God gives to us in reality. We've obtained an inheritance. Think about that, that we've made, been made rich, not only for this life, for life eternal. We've been sealed with him and the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, back in that day, if the king wrote a letter, he would seal it with wax, take a little bit of wax, and he would put his ring on it. And it was his sign, his pledge, his seal on that letter. And then the letter would be carried to the next place. And as long as the seal wasn't broken, then no one had tampered with the letter, right? You could trust it. It was authentic. It was genuine. It was under the authority of the king, right? So that kind of image of a seal is what Paul's using here, that, that when you believed in Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit. He is the seal of God's pledge to you of eternal life and, and how to live your life now. You know, I think about how... Uh, how this should should grasp our lives, how it should mold our lives, are, are we people of grace? Are we people uh, that are gracious in the, in, in the giving of the grace of God? You know, do we extend ourselves to others do we Do we bring light and freedom and life to those we love um, there 's uh, as I thought about this and I thought about you know, who are some grace-filled people in my life that, that I've experienced and been around, and many of them here in church. Uh, but then also, there was a fellow at work who was just extraordinarily kind. He was our IT specialist, and his uh, um, name was Bill. And, uh, you know, you'd come walking down the hall, and Bill was normally there before everybody else, and he'd greet you, and, hey, how you doing today? And a very very kind, generous person. And it, As I got to know him a little bit, uh, you know, it seemed like he cared more for people than for computers, which is really strange with IT people, right? It's not it's not normal. But uh but he was a kind and generous man. He, he he fixed breakfast for us one time. It was twenty-five or thirty architects and engineers, so a lot of them are gearheads. So to do something very kind and gracious like fix your breakfast, I mean it was like, wow, what's wrong with you? But it was wonderful. You know. But uh but come to find out Bill was a believer come, no surprise, but, uh, and, and two, he lived in inner city Baltimore, and so we got to talking, and, and, um, he says, yeah, I, I, my wife and I, we help out with, with these, with these girls on the street, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, and I said, well, how'd you get into that, and and what they would do, uh, um, these, these girls were selling their bodies. And Bill and his wife Karen, they would, they would help these girls be rescued from that, to be able to step out of that. They created a halfway house. They bought the house next door, the row home next door, and they created a halfway house for, for girls caught in this cycle of, of drugs and prostitution and to get out of the life, as they called it, just just a horrific situation there in Baltimore. And so to be able to give an alternative to that. And sometimes Bill would come and he'd be all bloodshot, His eyes, you'd tell he hadn't slept all night. He said, yeah, I had to go rescue a girl. Uh, they, they had a phone or whatever, a hotline set up to where if a girl wanted out of that life, he would go get him and bring him to the, and give them a p- safe place to be. Just a spectacular ministry, I thought. Uh, the, the, the ministry of it, it's under the Catholic umbrella, but uh, just doing a fantastic work. It was called um, Clay Pots in Baltimore. And uh, they would also equip them with job skills and this kind of thing. But but it's just so, you know, some things to think about there where they're bringing tangible benefit, tangible blessing to others through the gospel. You know, by by showing the love of God, crossing racial and ethnic and and social barriers to reach out with the gospel. That's might we be that kind of people, right? Might we be that kind of people that would, that would extend the love of God to others? Just uh, wonderful. Uh, to finish off with Bill, and I really don't want to be a downer here, but um, two years ago, he, um, he tragically pulled out on Route 1 in front of an oncoming pickup truck was killed instantly. And you think, oh my goodness. We, we still miss him in the office. Um, but, but you think about all the promises of this life in an instant are now transferred into eternity. Who is still a child of God. He's still a son of God. This life is so uncertain, saints. You know, we need to keep that in mind. that The, the, the veil of... Of this life, we can be so quickly in the presence of God. I don't want to scare you. I'm not. I'm not trying to be dramatic up here. I'm not. But for me, it was very clear how this man had lived his life and given his life to the Lord, and and how that would be received in heaven. That should give us tremendous confidence, too. There's there's such security here, isn't there? Security in the words of the Bible that we can trust the words of Ephesians to help us live our lives in a way that pleases God, right? And to have confidence on that day when we meet God, to have the confidence that uh, that we're right standing with him, right? That that the gospel is true here and it's true there in heaven, right? So just some thoughts here from the first... uh, few verses of Ephesians. So three points of application I want to leave you with this morning. One is embrace the book like an old friend. Embrace it. This this next 12 or 13 weeks, I encourage you to to read through Ephesians. Read through several times. Get your mind wrapped around the, the thought progression that Paul has, the themes that he's developing here. So to really ingest and really allow the word of God to work on us, saints to work on our hearts, to work on our lives, to bring change, to bring renewal, to bring love, hope, and grace, and peace, encouragement, right? Second thing is that we would just marvel. My goodness, we have such a generous God that he's loved us so much. He's reached to us. He's extended himself to us. You know, in the culture, if you pick up a magazine or whatever, you know, it's always in search of God, like man is naturally looking, no, we're not. And most of religion is is about man doing external things, right? I've got to do the right things to please God, whether, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's all about what I can do. Well, the book of Ephesians and the theme of Christianity is no, not what you've done, but what God has done, that he has extended himself to us, right? So that you would just marvel at how that God has worked his love in your life, and three, that you would tell someone about it, that we would share. Christian, non-Christian, I'm not picky. Share someone, uh, with someone about your testimony. How'd you come to know the love of God? How did God show himself to you this next week? That's my prayer for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace that you've given to us so freely. We're, uh, we're just so thankful this morning. Teach us from your word, we pray, as we seek it, as we, uh, as we look to your word, that you would bless us, help us, encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.